Um, the passage today is about a feast that will happen in heaven. Um, and in house group on, on uh, Tuesday, what's Tuesday, um, we were talking about, well, we kind of got a bit sidetracked into uh, what it would be like in heaven. So maybe just pause for a minute and just have a little think. I mean, what, what is your picture of heaven? Do you meditate on it much? It's supposed to be the hope that we have. It's a tricky one, isn't it? We have these, um, we have songs about dancing just now. Someone next to me said, I'm not sure about dancing. <laughs> we have songs about singing endless songs, and people say, oh, sure about singing endless songs um, and then we have passages like this that are about a feast um, and this is something I, I can get into I love food I can't get enough of it and um, whenever I have a meeting or anything there's always food involved it's got to involve food really because the food is just a way of connecting isn't it that kind of idea of feasting in heaven is that idea of completely celebrating what God has done um, together. There's a great sense of togetherness, isn't there? That's what makes a good meal is generally the people you're with. It's not about uh, so much the food. You could have the nicest food in the world, couldn't you, sitting on your own, but it wouldn't necessarily be a great meal. A great meal is about the company. So imagine us and heaven celebrating, and we're there together, and we're with God himself is amongst us and eating. So we're celebrating together. Um, in the Bible, they, um, throughout Israel's history, they, they, well, they have lots of um, times when they're celebrating with meals. We've got all the sacrifices that were often followed by celebratory meals. Um, it's not going to work, is it, for me? What do I need to do? wiggle the batteries that always works doesn't it where it's the remote control yeah see <laughs> okay so this is from Isaiah and um, so if you think about the people of God when they're in desperate times what do they think about well this is prophecy on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all the peoples a banquet of aged wine the best of meats and the finest of wines. So you can imagine here, you're in a really tough situation, but they're looking forward to a time when there'll be not only a banquet, but that sense of celebration, that sense of abundance, that sense of the best of everything is in there. The best of wines, the best of meats, um, that kind of idea of richness, of of overwhelming blessings from God. And um, that's what they're looking for. And at the time of Jesus, um, this was, you know, still very much in their minds, a time of banqueting at the feast of the kingdom of God. And uh, when Jesus is at this feast, uh, it's not a feast, it's just sort of like a Saturday lunchtime soiree, we will call it. And uh, there's probably loads of people there. And this guy says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. 
Okay, so we're going to look at chapter 14. We're going to look at what led up to that statement, okay? So let's read 14, and we're just going to read 1 to 14 now, and this actually comes in 15, so we'll read that later. Okay, it says, On the Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched, and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked him, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of of the righteous. Okay. So, what's happening? Well, it's a Saturday, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus has already got into countless kind of conflicts with the religious leaders concerning his behavior on this day. And today's going to be no exception. He is at the house of a Pharisee. And remember, the Pharisees are like extremely, extremely conservative Jews. And the core of their belief is that all Israel's problems are because they haven't kept the law. So if only they were to force people to follow the law exactly as it should be, then salvation would come to Israel. Everything would be good again. And as a result, this group, along with those who taught the law, took it upon themselves to be like a religious police for the nation. Now, John said last week they're a bit like, um, you know, really extreme Islamic kind of, you you often get it, don't you? I read a book once about um, kind of the religious police in some very extreme Islamic countries. Well, we're not saying that it's like that or not because we don't know exactly, but they were there enforcing the law. And in the gospel, we read, do you remember the man who was born blind? When his parents were interviewed by the, by the Pharisees, they didn't answer because they were too scared. 
to say anything. The Pharisees had authority to ban you from the synagogue. They effectively could outcast you from the community. And remember the woman caught in adultery, she's brought to Jesus and they want to stone her. That's the Pharisees again. So they've got a lot of power within the community to enforce this religious law exactly as they see it should be enforced. So people are frightened of them. They are nervous of them. You don't want to cross a Pharisee. Jesus isn't frightened at all, no. (laughs) So here they are at a table, and the elite, the very best of the Pharisees are there. And they're scrabbling for seats. They want to get close to the host because the most important people sit closest to him. Okay. But something very odd is happening right at the end. We know it would be at the end because he'd be the least is a man who is sick. Okay. Now, Luke's a doctor, so he gives us a specific thing that's wrong with the man. He says it's dropsy. And dropsy is a term for um, swelling of soft tissue. Um, It's kind of like when you get excess water. It means that something else is wrong in the body. Now, whatever was wrong with him doesn't matter. What does matter is what the Pharisees thought about this illness. Now, they thought it would be one of two things that was wrong with that person. Firstly, they thought it could be sexual sin. And secondly, they thought it could be a cleanliness sin. I, I read in one book that it was that they believed that the person had refused to have a bowel movement. <laughs> anyway, we won't go into that. Um, but the obvious thing basically is that they thought that this was a result of sin, This is a punishment, in a sense, from God. Um, And remember, these Pharisees, it, it means the separate ones. They wanted to be separate from anyone or anything that was unclean. So why on earth have they invited a man to their lunchtime soiree who is in that category, a sinner? Well, let's look what it says It says, um, verse, let me get it back up, otherwise I'll give you the wrong verse. (laughs) It says in verse 1, in the last bit, it says, he was being carefully watched. Jesus is being carefully watched. This is a trap, okay? They're waiting to see what Jesus is going to do. Now, there's been four incidents of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Three of those have been in the synagogue. Um, And we read their responses where they were furious, they were indignant, and worse than that, they were humiliated in front of the other people. And Jesus here is at their table. Now, is he going to have the audacity to heal this man at the house in front of the host that he's been invited by. Of course he is. (laughs) Okay. What does he say? Verse 3. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He's asking them. Well, 
Come on, is it? You guys are the Pharisees. You guys, some of you will be teachers of the law. You are the experts. Come on, answer the question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And what do we read there is? Silence. Silence. They don't even answer. This often happens, doesn't it? When Jesus challenges um, religious leaders, they often don't have an answer. They don't know what to say. They are left kind of, hmm, I don't even want to do what to say to that. Now, it could be that he's stored up such a hornet's nest amongst the Pharisees that none of them really want to give an opinion on this point. Because if they give an opinion, someone might disagree with them. They want to be united. It could be that um, there's a difficulty that in its strictest sense, in terms of just God's law, what's actually in the Bible itself, well, no, of course it's not illegal to heal on the Sabbath. But their laws, the laws that they'd come up with, because they were so obsessed with keeping these laws that they had written extra laws around it. In fact, hundreds and hundreds of extra laws had been written. Exactly what you could do. Um, you weren't allowed to walk very far on, a, on, a, on the Sabbath. So, well, how far could you walk on the Sabbath? You know, how far is too far? Would it, would it be this far? Would it be a quarter of a mile? Is it half a mile? And they had all these elaborate things. If you, if you left your coat halfway, it might be able to help you walk a bit further. They'd come up with so much stuff around it. So we've got um, silence, absolute silence. And completely frustration, we read that Jesus, what does it say? It says he took hold of the man or taking hold of the man, I think it says. Now, the important thing about this is it's not just taking hold. It actually means to grab. So I can almost imagine Jesus leaping across the table and grabbing this man because he's so frustrated with them. For goodness sake, people, you know, grabbing this man. And here is a man that they assume is a sinner and Jesus grabs him and heals him. Now, Here's the test, isn't it? This is a test. So, will Jesus choose to heal? Will God listen and, or will he strike him dead? Will this man who's being punished, in their opinion, be healed? In a way, it's a bit like kind of Mount Carmel, isn't it? It's who's God's real? Who is God really working with on this side? Who does God approve of? Who is God listening to? And as onlookers ourselves, we need to be asking, don't we, whenever we read something from the word, an account of Jesus, we need to be asking, well, who is Jesus then? Who is Jesus that he's able to do this? Who here has the true authority? Who is God listening to in this incident? And how should we respond so, what's next? Well, it gets rid of the man, because this has just been a test. This man needs to get out of here, because Jesus is about to really go for it. So he gives them three simple, basic lessons in the law. These guys are experts. He's going to give them three basics they should know. Number one, 
Loving others is a top priority of God. Let's read again um, verse 5 and 6. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. And they had nothing to say. You know it's true, you don't have to think twice, do you, about whether you're going to help somebody you love. You don't think, they didn't have to think, ooh, should I rescue my son? He's down the well and going to drown. Um, mm. No, they didn't think twice about this. In fact, they didn't think twice if a, a really expensive animal had fallen down. They were like, this is costing me a lot of money, I'm going to get that animal out. And yet, here, this man, this child of God, who God delights in, they're willing to just let him suffer. And they think that that's okay, that that's what God wants. They've got things very wrong, haven't they, if they think that God desires that we suffer, that God desires that that man is ill, that God desires that he waits for healing, that it's God's punishment. Loving others is God's top priority. Number two, humility is a quality God desires in his people. What does he say next? It says, verse 7, When he noticed how the guests had picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited you, both of you, will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. He says he's seen these guys scrabbling for the best seats. Verse 11, it says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is something so basic that they would have learnt it when they were 12 years old. They would have known this verse by heart. And it says, Do not claim do not claim honor in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of great men for it's better that it be said to you come up here than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen and that's from proverbs also from proverbs he mocks the proud mockers but he shows favor to the humble and oppressed they would have known these verses by heart, they would have known that humility was something that God desires. But Jesus goes further. He says, don't just put yourself a little bit down, but put yourself in the lowest of all places. That's a massive challenge to us, isn't it? Interestingly, where was Jesus sitting at this banquet? He was sitting at the lowest place opposite the sick man. He's our example, isn't he? He chooses the lowest of place. He's the servant of all. He's come to serve and not be served. And he asks us to do the same. Thirdly, God is about inclusion and not exclusion. 
Well, we're on the subject of guests, he says. When you invite someone, don't um, every single time. It says here, um, he says, when you give a luncheon, do not invite your friends. That, inv- that sentence is like, it's like repeatedly, habitually do it every single time. It's really, really easy to get into that, isn't it? Because it's so easy for us to go, I really like that person. I get on with them really well. I'm going to have them again because it was a real blessing to me to have them. But Jesus is turning it around. He's like, when you have a banquet, when you, when you have a lunch, when you are after church today, when you're thinking, who should I invite to my house? Do you think, oh, I'm going to invite that person because they're just such a blessing to have? Or are you looking to bless others around you? Jesus is asking them to choose the people that aren't rich, that maybe don't fit their ethical code that they want to follow that maybe won't be able to repay them because he wants to reflect that God is inclusive of all people. His kingdom is open to everyone. So we've got three simple lessons he gives them that they should know and so should we. It's good to hear it again, isn't it? Because it's so easy to just go on and not um, get it. Sorry, I'll go back. So let's go on to the next bit, because remember that guy, he said, blessed is the one who eats in the feast in the kingdom of God. Well, why does he say this? Man, it is getting uncomfortable in the room. (laughs) Awful things. This man's been healed, and now we've just got a sort of year seven school telling off session. It is really bad in this room. And he says, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose something no one's going to disagree with. Blessed is the one who eats in the feast of the kingdom of God. Because no one can say no to this. No, everyone's going to be like, hey, hey, let's drink some more wine. And Jesus is going to be calmed down. But no. They're all going, phew. Jesus says, no, I've got another lesson for you. So let's read the next bit. And it's verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Stir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited, will get to the taste of my banquet. So, 
That's how we got here. Jesus tells a a parable about a great banquet. Uh, The certain man, they know God. They know, they understand the whole kingdom of God banqueting theme. They know that they've been invited. They're the people of God, aren't they? They're the chosen ones, the Jews, the religious ones, the ones that God has brought out of Egypt. But in this parable, they make lots of excuses, um, really lame ones at that. Purchased a field, I've got some new cows. They would have seen these before. You don't just purchase cows and fields without having a bit of a look. The man who's got married, well, what's that about? That's a bit weird. I mean, he could be excused maybe from military service, but from attending a banquet, these are not good excuses. They have all, um, despite originally accepting, they have all rejected this man after all. And on receiving this info, the master sends his servants to get, what does it say, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Remember, these are the very people that Jesus just told the Pharisees that they should invite to their homes. There can be no mistake in the Pharisees' minds that yet again, it's a very personal attack on them. That in some way, Jesus is saying that they, they, the Pharisees, the experts, the religious ones, the people they consider completely righteous, have rejected in some way God. Finally, the servant in verse 23 is told to go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so my house will be full. It's shocking to the Pharisees that the people that are invited last don't even know the master. They have to be compelled. They have to be persuaded. They have to be told about him, what he's like and who he is and what he's going to do and the banquet in order to be brought in. These people are perhaps the Gentiles yet to come. And verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who was invited will get to taste of my banquet. Jesus tapates in front of them from this joyous comment this guy makes, oh, this will all be all right, this dreadful picture, this desperate picture that those who have been invited may still fail to enter the feast. They can reject the invite and they make excuses. But I want to focus on what is good about this. What does it teach us? Well, number one, the invitation to attend the feast goes out to all people. All people, regardless. All people are invited. It's not a select few. Number two, they're not only invited to, urged, convinced, They are pleaded with to come in. The master, God himself, pleads with people, urges people, desires that people will come into the feast. This is not, "Mm, you can come if you're good enough. You can come if you've been religious enough. You can come if you really, really are seeking. 
But actually, it's the other way around, isn't it? He's going out and searching and seeking for people to come in. Thirdly, there is tons of room in the house. And God desires that the house is full. There is a lot of room. Remember when um, Jesus talks about my father's house has many rooms? It is massive. There is room for everyone. The house must be full. And finally, no one is excluded, but they, you can exclude yourself. You can reject the invite. Other things can become more of a priority. But when the feast has begun, like we heard last week, there will be no chance to change your mind. So, the invite is out, but how do we accept it? Why, why is it that the Pharisees, Jesus says, that they are rejecting it? Well, what are they rejecting? Because they want to follow God. They're doing all this stuff to please him. They're making sure everyone's following the rules. You do this, I'll do this. We're going to keep the law. So how have they rejected the invite? Well, they have rejected the one who gives it. Let's look at this. This is from John chapter 14. And this Jesus speaks to his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And this is what he says to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, um, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now Thomas, sometimes called Doubting Thomas, he likes to just stress the obvious. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how will we know the way? How, how will we know how to get there? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus states clearly to his disciples that he is the way. No one can come to God except through him, because to know him is to know God. To see him is to see God. If we accept the invite, we must accept the one who gives it. And the Pharisees were willing to accept the invite from God, but when they saw him face to face, they rejected him. It's a bit like if you're going to a wedding and you get the invite and you say, oh, I'd love to go to that wedding. But then you find out who the groom is. You say, oh, well, I'm not going if he's going. You, you can't go, can you? The wedding is about the groom. <laughs> so, how do we accept him? Oh, sorry about that. Well, firstly, what we saw before, humbly, I'm not worthy. 
I'm not worthy. I bring you nothing, God. All my things I try and do, I know that some of them you like, some you don't, but I know it's about your invite. You have made the way possible, and I know I need to go through Jesus. I need to go through Jesus today. And finally, Jesus still asks you to come. um, We want to say, um, sorry, I put that up too quick. Jesus asks you to come to him and, sorry, and to live by his spirit. This is important, isn't it? Remember the Pharisees, they tried really hard. And sometimes we can fall into that situation where we're trying really hard to be good enough for God. But it's not about that. It's about the spirit at work in us. Um, We're not about a church that just works really hard and tries really hard, but we're about the transforming effect of the spirit of God in us. So let's look at what it says up there. It says, I'm not worthy, God. I bring nothing to you. Thank you for inviting me to your banquet and making the way to you possible through Jesus and his death on the cross. And help me by your spirit. That is important, isn't it? We can try so hard, we will never achieve. But by the spirit of God, God living in us, transforming us, we're going to see change. To live in a way that pleases you. If we try and live any other way but by the Spirit, we've fallen into that Pharisee way of doing life. So we're going to pray now. Um, And I'm going to pray that prayer again. And if you want to pray that today, maybe you just want to recommit yourself. Maybe you realize you've been living a little bit, trying to be too good or trying to work really hard to please God. Maybe you think, um, you know, I'm trying to bring stuff to you, God. I'm not very humble. I think actually I'm quite nice and you quite like me in your kingdom. Well, let's pray I'm not worthy, God. And let's thank him for inviting us because that's when we really start to serve others. Okay, let's pray. And um, afterwards, during the response, if you'd like to come forward for prayer for anything, then there'll be prayer team up here. Maybe it's the first time you've prayed this sort of prayer, or maybe it's the 500th, it's okay. Maybe you just want a fresh um, experience, you just want to be here, and you, you're just thinking, I feel dry, I feel like I've been trying to do this too much on my own for too long. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you that the Spirit would come. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm not worthy. I bring you nothing. Thank you for inviting me to your banquet and making the way to you possible through Jesus and his death on the cross. Help me by your spirit to live in a way that pleases you today. Amen.